Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Boom Goddess Podcast Project with your hosts, myself, Dr. Andrea Goldmarks, Jennifer Davis-Page, and Bibi Peters. This podcast aims to ignite inspiration in primetime women by creating a super learning community, a safe space for all women to contribute their voices and visions. For more information on this episode and to learn more, visit us at boomgoddessradio.com. Welcome to our podcast. It's Boom Goddess Radio Podcast. And this is Andrea Gould here with Jen Davis Page and Bibi Peters. And we have the good fortune to be talking about the sweetest subject of love. Love. What a wonderful word. I think that it's just so healthy to fall in love. And we're going to talk about falling in love, how that feels, and falling out of love and how that feels, and how to deal with breakups. It's interesting that we have some wonderful questions from listeners that we weren't expecting. We've got some young people, 20-year-old millennials that are at, that are listening to the show and wanting our advice on various topics, and we're going to discuss those today. It's interesting that last time we talked about relationships and love and sort of growing into those or out of those and formatting it into a new way that fits our lifestyle at our age. Right. So, at that point, we were talking about being married for more than 20 years, 30 years, sometimes 40 years, and looking at the evolution of the relationship and the need for space and separation. And now we have these young people uh, interested in our take, on our perspective on love and sustaining love and dealing with the ups and downs of love. One of the things we love about doing this podcast and the creative effort that goes into it is that it's full of surprises. And a couple of weeks ago, our wonderful engineer, Chris, who's 25, uh, came up with an idea. He said, you know, so many of my friends know that I'm working in this capacity with you women. And they're interested in knowing if they can ask some questions about love and maybe you can collectively give them some guidance and have some conversation about it. And so we were very fortunate to get some questions um, in advance of the show and we're so excited to be able to address these very deep and very real questions about love. And I like how uh, there is a comfort in the questions, right? We had a chance to preview them at this point. And there is real authenticity and depth in those questions. Um, and I am um, delighted and eager uh, for us to dive in. Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. So my friend Daniel asks, how do you know when you're in love? So our young person asks, how do you know when you're in love? What a sweet, adorable question, isn't it? And it instantly brought the idea of limerence to me when we talked about that the last time. And I see it as some sort of a sparkling that occurs in your spirit, on your skin, and almost a little bit of an angst feeling inside that um, is needing that connection, that face, that smile. Um, what about you, Jen? I think you're absolutely right. And I don't, I don't think it matters what age you are. I think when you had that first love at 15 or 16 years old, or you're now going through your life and you're over 60 years old and you meet someone, you have the same effect. Well, I mean, it's, it's the, the same, same feeling. feeling, right? Yeah. And so it starts with a feeling. It actually starts with a sensation 
in the body, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. some kind of mixture of a butter- chemical thing, right? Right, right. like chemical? like like butterflies and mm-hmm. and attraction, but it it's also mm-hmm. sometimes like two batteries, you know, the the wrong end of the batteries together. There's mm-hmm. both an attraction and and a repulsion. Almost, it's it's such an ambivalent feeling at first. And as a young person, I don't want our young listeners to think that it gets better with time. Because if you fall in love at 60, fall in love at 50, or fall in love at 15, the effect seems to be the same. You get kind of giddy. And it's and it's healthy to be giddy. Yeah, there is. I know. I like that word. Mm-hmm. I think there's a giddiness that's, that's part of it. A lightness, an animation, like an energizing effect. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't really matter um, the, the uh, what do you call it, the object of the attraction. You know, it can be a same-sex attraction. It can be an opposite-sex attraction. It can be an animal attraction. There's an attraction, something that locks you in and makes, ultimately, um, makes it irresistible to want to see that person v- even just look at that person if you're in high school just see that person in the hall and it almost compels you to uh, move ahead to take actions to uh, do something special whether it's texting or picking up pizza or just doing something interesting and new and creative for that person well even before that though when we're talking about attraction it's just being noticed by that person would be enough extracting a high from that person or a smile from that person but i think the key thing in answer to the question how do you know you're in love is that that other person's response really matters to you and you know we talk about uh, in our lives we talk about love at first sight we also talk about and, and i'm thinking Love at first sight. There's some times when a person will see someone and they're your friends and there's no love at first sight. But then now we're friends and we, we find how much we like each other. We find how much we have in common. And perhaps there was no, no in, initial sexual magnetism at all. But as we get to know that person, we start falling in love with all the important qualities about them. And it's so amazing that we can, that it can go either way, that literally it can be love at first sight, where then the relationship becomes, well, how do I justify this? That, that, that can be troublesome sometimes because the attraction is there, but just as you say, all the important things, they may or may not be there. If they are there, great. The relationship floats along in its own natural rhythm. If it's not there, angst begins to develop where someone wants to change the other person into what all those important qualities are to them. And uh, sometimes those qualities don't appear until down the road. And so you're not aware that maybe they have some things that you may want to change or that need to be changed. Uh, but you're sort of blind to those at that point because that attraction, as Jen called it, did, did you actually say sexual, ma- ma- uh, sexual magnetism? I did indeed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, but that, that, then that becomes what can create the dissonance because if you're attracted to someone and then there isn't the behavioral matchup, it's synchronicity or, not, I don't mean synchronicity, but the um, harmony of being in an easy relationship, but there's a sexual attraction and then everything else is, is running in the wrong direction. That can spell difficulty. So falling in love is one thing. Being willing to go ahead with the relationship is is something else. And I just want to say that young males very often, when they feel that attraction, they often run the other way at first. Okay. Less, less so women. Women are likely to move forward or young women are likely to move toward it. But young boys, boys can sometimes be scared about that feeling and tend to move away from it initially. So here's another one. Uh, My friend typically handles breakups by getting drunk and throwing things and not the best 
stuff to do. So uh, he asks, what is the healthy thing to do after a breakup? Well, how many breakups has he had? As a young person, you really have to, if you've had a lot of breakups, I think that you have to really question how, what a bad boy you've been. Because women traditionally don't, they traditionally do not break up with good guys. So perhaps you should ask yourself the question, what am I doing wrong that makes all of these women leave me? Well, and I think it also uh, depends who asked that question, right? If it's a woman or a guy. Um, what is the healthy thing to do after a breakup? For me, as a female, it would be to probably stop my tears from coming out, to stop crying about it, to stop getting uh, from underneath the table where I found myself when my boyfriend in my 20s broke up with me when he was in the Air Force, um, and uh, to sort of compose myself, to reflect now, I can say, to reflect internally and to be aware that something just occurred that may be upsetting me. And Dr. Andrea, <laughs> I just can't wait to attack this question. <laughs> it's just got so much color to it. Well, first of all, I think you really get to the point of attachment. And it may be different the way males and females respond to attachment, but not necessarily because if we go deeply enough, the disappointment of a broken attachment is threatening, it's frightening, it's destabilizing. Mm -hmm. So whether we're responding with tears or we're responding with anger, the hurt um, the rejection, the rejection, the hurt, the message that somehow we're not okay. We don't come up to a standard. We don't meet the need of the person. But the rejection and the hurt is really where it stands. So when our engineer was talking about his friend and saying that he ticked typically responds in a violent way, that anger is an expression, a male expression very often of, of the hurt and how deep the hurt is. So this young man needs to come to terms not only with the reason for why he got rejected, but how he understands the nature of attachment and how important it is to him and he can reflect on the th it, once he understands how important it is not just in a macho way but in a survival way he may begin to understand how to better express himself within the relationship so that as jennifer was saying he doesn't get outright rejected because he's been disrespectful or he's been too controlling or he's been out being a tomcat and his girlfriend wasn't appreciative of that infidelity. So how do you then uh, diffuse that energy, that violence? Um, is um, One way would be to talk to your friends, you know, your close buds, and uh, explain the frustration or the, or the uh, disappointment that you're feeling? What other ways? What are the other practical ways? I think that would be hard sometimes for a young man to yes. do right away. Yes. But I think that awareness of one's self is really the first step to come to understand the importance of love, not just as an acquisition, not just as a conquest, if you're a young man, but what it really means to be well taken care of, to be nurtured, to have somebody there for you, there in your corner. So self-understanding is really critical and maybe something that a lot of young men miss out on because they don't have the same um, ability to talk amongst themselves as women do to talk amongst themselves. And I think young men and women, when we're talking about a man right now, I think you need to really examine the self-destruct. It can be extremely damaging in so many ways. I mean, you, you break up with someone, and that's one thing, and then you go out and get drunk, that's another thing. And then you're driving while you're drunk. You could be pulled over for a DUI, which really affects you for the rest of your life. So you really have to be mature enough to think about the consequences of those 
those self-destructive. self-destructive actions. Right, those choices. Yes. Right. And yet it's a natural thing to turn that rejection inward. And then, you know, we have the whole dynamic of self-hatred. So I'm a young man. I hurt you. You're my girlfriend. You caught me hurting you. Mm-hmm. Another part of me hates myself mm-hmm. for hurting you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go hurt me now. Mm-hmm. But are we talking emotionally hurt? Or are you talking about physical hurt? Physically hurt. Physically for hurt. For instance, mm-hmm. from the female point of view, mm-hmm. you rejected me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hate myself. Mm-hmm. I might start cutting mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. Or I might starve myself. Mm-hmm. Or I might mm-hmm. overeat. Or mm-hmm. I might get so heavy that nobody will want me. And mm-hmm. so I'll be alone in my house a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'll isolate mm-hmm. There's so many different ways that self-hatred can manifest. So somebody who's done an outright act of violence on another person, a young man aggressing on his, on his, um, on his girlfriend, um, hopefully will have some friends around him who might reach out to him and say, hey, buddy, you don't need to do that. You know, come hang out. Let's let's do something less destructive together. And then in, in this day and age, it is... Very destructive because once you raise your hand to hit a woman or to hit a man, I mean, that now is assault and battery. That's a whole nother set of problems that you're going to have on your record for the rest of your life. So I, I, I caution young people and old people to think very carefully about um, about their actions. And the consequences. Rules and regulations have, and laws have changed dramatically. When I was a young woman and... Um, if you were married and your husband hit you back in the 60s, you were his property. The police, it, it wasn't a crime to hit your wife in the 60s. It really was not. And But now, guess what? It is. You can be hauled away to jail right now. In the 60s, the police would walk, walk a husband to the curb until he cooled down. But guess what? They'd leave and then he'd come back into the house. Cooling down is another whole skill that anyone would need to learn. But we're talking now about an education, an emotional education that needs to happen with young people because relationships are like the most important thing to the heart of a young person. You're listening to Boom Goddess Podcast. So on that last note, uh, Sam asks, how do I know when it's time to break up? So what's our experience? We've all broken up at one time or another. How did we know it was time to break up, Bibi? I think it has to do with, of course, how you're feeling. Is it an effort? Are you making an effort to be with this person? Is it tugging at you? Is something not sounding right? Uh, of course, never mind the physical aspect. For me, it's the number one thing. If anyone were to physically uh, hit me, that would be an immediate breakup, no matter if I've been with that person for a week or five years. What about the explosive anger and throwing things that the previous question was asking about? And that's a no-go as well. I, Deal breaker. I, it is, right. I thrive. I live in my peace and in comfort and in uh, and in being able to speak with my partner um, and coexist and share that that would ve- very much be a deal breaker right right I think that there are signs before we even get together there are signs that we should pay attention to um, if you're you know dating to me has always been collecting data all right. And I tell my nieces and my granddaughters the same thing. Collect data. Go out with, with, with the person that you've selected. Have dinner. Have coffee. And then ask questions. And collect as much data as you can and see how he responds. You will get a sense. If you have a good sense of, of yourself and what kind of person you want in your life, then you should be able, before you agree to, I'm going to use an old-fashioned term, go steady, um, exa- talk to him and see how he reacts. And if, he, if, he ha- if he's quick-tempered and you don't like that, as Bibi said she doesn't like, which none of us should really like, then 
get out of it right away. Um, don't accept anything that doesn't make you feel good is my answer to that. Um, and we know that it's not always easy to do because, you know, there's that love, there's that clinging, there's that need, there's that lack of self-confidence, all of those things. And there, well, and there's that, per, that personal time that we've had with the person, whether we slept with them or not. Um, and it's, it, it was giving up a part of ourselves and now to be breaking up, it makes it very difficult to separate ourselves. And I'm thinking just about what uh, Jennifer was saying about vetting the person or collecting data on the person. I, I can go back to making the recommendation that if you're serious about this person, you really need to see 365 days of what his life is like, or if you're a guy, what her life is like, what holidays are like, what birthdays are like, what expectations are like, how family reacts. Because when you're young, you're vetting a person as a life partner. It may be when you're older and you've passed the age of having children or raising children, you may just want to have experiential relationships that have something or other that recommend them, that this is a good person to travel with, or this is a good person to share work with, or this is a good person to share family with. So there are so many reasons why relationships begin and end but the whole issue of breaking up is scary after there's an attachment and of course the deeper the attachment the more sexual the attachment the more scary it is to face the breakup for so many reasons when you start having sex early in the relationship it kind of clouds how you how you think about that person it's important that he or she make you feel as good in bed as out of bed. All right. I think that's really important. Uh, a lot of times as I talk to young women, they talk about what a good lay he is. Well, you know, that's not the important thing. The important thing is when you get out of bed, does he make you feel good walking down the street, holding hands, having dinner? Those are the important things because the sexual part really does cloud you because it feels it feels great and you think all is all is right with the world. Like, does he bring you a cup of coffee in the morning? Exactly. Does he know how you take your e coffee? Exactly. Exactly. And These does are he important things. And does he care? And does he care? You know. And so, if you want yeah. a, a fast answer, is that if you're feeling anxious, uncertain, a little depressed. Uh, unclear, dissatisfied for more than you're feeling the opposite, satisfied, loved, cared for, then it's time to take a really good look. And again, it's that support system to run things by. It's your therapist to run things by. I would recommend, especially when the relationship means a lot or when you see that there's a pattern. So how do you know when it's time to break up? Like Jen said, you really need to know yourself first and foremost before you really engage seriously in relationships the better you know yourself the better you can know what your benchmarks are what your standards are uh, so one of my 16 17 year old high school students asked has the way people dated changed since you got since you started dating so the question from the young man is how has the way people date changed since we have started to date. And he was asking the question of us. That's so right. He knows that we are older women. Yes, right. So how has dating changed? How was dating when we were growing up? What were the experiences? How did that go? I remember using the expression, he asked me out. So what does that mean? So at that point, it really... As I recall, it was the male's responsibility to say in one way or another, to indicate in one way or another, eloquent or otherwise, <laughs> uh, would you like to very often go to the movies with me? I think that was the first kind of invitation I had. Movies was the first invitation for me too. And then of course it was, 
they were very specific in terms of, of eating. They would say, let's go get a burger or let's go get a hot dog. <laughs> That's uh, funny. You know, those, those, nobody said, you know, nobody was talking about tiramisu back then. So <laughs> um, it was different. I mean, and, and as a teenager, I mean, we didn't go to any elegant restaurants because nobody could afford to do that. So, uh, so we weren't going out to dinner. No, we weren't going oh, out to dinner. Were you yeah. going out to dinner? Yeah, we were going out what to dinner. What kind of places did your man take you? On uh, Long Island. <laughs> okay. Um, we're going out to dinner. But that was very, you know, uh, special when the restaurant was chosen by him mm-hmm. and he came and he was all dressed How old? up. How old? Um, 19, oh, 18. Okay. okay. Um, and then you went and had dinner and uh, wine was served. So, yeah, that was very, very fun. See, I was talking Were about... underage drinking at 18? <laughs> I was talking about the 18. dates at 12 <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 13. Yeah, and oh, I'm, talk, I'm talking oh, 16. I'm talking 15, 16, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah those were the first. I remember just a funny story that this boy in sixth grade asked me to go to the movies, and I was maybe 10. And I go home and I tell my mother that Barry asked me to go to the movies. And she said, well, who else is going? Mm -hmm. And I think I started to tell a white lie. And (laughs) then I just got too complicated and I had to tell him that I couldn't go. But I didn't want to tell him that I didn't want to go in a group because I didn't want him to think I was a baby. Oh, you just, you just wanted to be with him, and you couldn't do that, so therefore... And I didn't want him to think I was a baby, saying that, oh, well, my mommy said that I couldn't yeah. go. You were a baby. Other, you I, were a baby I, at 10 years I old. Know. I wasn't allowed with any boys at 10 years old, okay, at 10 right. years well, old. Well, so was neither was I, but I didn't want to decline and have him think that I wasn't mature enough to go out on a date. Well, I was sneaking at 14... Wait a minute, white lies and sneaking. Okay, this is important. This is important. I was 14, and I really liked this guy. His name was Walter. And Walter asked me to go to the movies. Well, of course, my mother wasn't having that even at 14. So, of course, I would go to the movies and meet Walter in the movies. Now, what did that do? I had to pay my own way in because Walter wasn't there to pay. I had to buy my own popcorn. And so Walter and I would sit and we'd watch a movie. Well, my first kiss was in that movie, all right? With With Walter. Walter, all right? So now, this was not the age where we had phones and, you know, your mother could pick up the phone and listen to your conversation. Well, that happened because Walter called to tell me what a great kisser I was. Well, ah! My mother was on the phone. Well, that ended Walter. We had a talk with Walter's mother, and so it just became a, a little scandal in town, my little first kiss. But... Things are very different now. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we had phones where parents could pick up and listen. We don't have such a thing now. We carry phones in our purses and in our pockets. And um, it was it was very, very different. I'm not quite sure I, I would, didn't like that. I mean, there was something quite nice about growing up in those days. You I felt protected. Who, I felt very protected. Um, and we, I grew up in a little town, and and we weren't. Everybody was in the house by nine o'clock because the carpets in the town pulled up at ten. So, you know, it's. I worry sometimes, you know, about my granddaughters going out, and, and they're out, and they're out late, and their things are happening in the world. Things were very different, um, you know, fifty years ago. I also think growing up in the city is different. Going out on dates. Mm-hmm. I lived. In New York City, mm-hmm. so we had public transportation. We'd be able to ride buses together. Uh, we didn't have parents involved, like the kids on Long Island needed to be chauffeured. Mm-hmm. We didn't. We didn't have that problem, so mm-hmm. we could take buses and trains mm-hmm. at an early age. So I think that there was, there were incredible differences these days. I think the feelings are the same. Mm-hmm. The desires of it are the same. Mm-hmm. The options are different. I think there are many more options for quote-unquote hooking up now than there were back then. And you know, at that time, we expected the boys to pay. You know, that was just the way it was. If you went out for that burger, your mother told you, make sure he pays. Well, nowadays, these women, these young girls are liberated enough where they... You know, the guys are now saying we'll go Dutch, you know, and the women and the young girls are accepting that. 
And I think there's a bit of a backlash, though, going on with that. I think that that was the case, um, definitely for a long time, like in the 70s, 80s, 90s. But I think it began to shift a little bit. I noticed that gender roles are shifting and women are wanting... Um, the treatment again having the doors open for them i think their mothers which are more in our age group i think have begun to reacquaint young women with the way a lady should be treated again well you know but one can also add that um there isn't that beholding once the guy keeps paying mm. for you you don't have a sense of obligation and it is a freeing aspect particularly in the early stage of building that relationship yeah i think women are really wanting to hold on to their independence longer or knowing more about it and years ago etiquette was important in dating i mean when a young man if he had a car when he pulled up he had to get out of the car knock on the door and meet your parents that's right. You know, that was a part of it because your mother wasn't going to let you leave the house, go out and get in a car without having met this young man and finding out who his parents were. Uh, I'm not quite sure that's happening today. Um, there was absolutely no honking of the horn. There was absolutely no pulling up and honking the horn to say, I'm here. Except in the movies with California <laughs> right, convertibles. Right. So um, the etiquette was different. I'm not sure right now... Um, whether that still holds true. I'm sure in a lot of families it does. I'm hearing that it does in the in the clients that I have. I, I think there's a new ferocity, a new sense of protectiveness mm -hmm. that maybe was dormant for a while because it didn't need to be as activated as it is now. But with the world becoming a more unpredictable place, I think uh, parents are demanding that for their children. You're listening to Boom Goddess Radio Podcast. All right, so here's another fun question for you. What is your perfect date to all three of you? What is my perfect date? Well, I've been married for 15 years, and we still like to have a date every once in a while, so I guess we can answer that question even though we're married women. Uh, my perfect date would be... I like dancing. I like the way he holds me when we dance. Ooh. And I think that dancing, uh, and, I'm, and to our listeners, dancing is holding each other. I also think it's diagnostic. Really? Because you can tell if somebody can move with you or somebody you're not in sync with, or somebody you're out of sync with repeatedly. And if you're out of sync, how do they respond to you? And if you're in sync, how do they respond to you? How do you respond to them? And how they feel in your arms. That's a, that's a, as you said, that's a, that's a great detector. And I think that it's healthy uh, in these long-term relationships um, that we dance and hold each other, even if it's for 10 minutes. And if we can do that every day, I think that's really healing. I think that's really healing. And uh, the clue for, for, for some of us is that you still like him or her to hold you. So Perfect um, date does involve some degree of holding. Some degree of holding. And of course, dining and sharing a, and sharing a wonderful um, meal and drinks. And conversation. And that can be diagnostic as well. Okay. Oh, I have one too. My perfect date would be to meet him on the golf course, maybe around 7 a.m. when the dew is just uh, there, and play a round of golf, um, seeing some beautiful mountains and waterways, and watch how he does things on the golf course. Does he get pissed Does he get pissed off at the drop of a hat? Is he angry at the people who are slow ahead of us? How is this personality? 
and enjoy the actual game of golf. And then when it's all done, uh, roll on up to the bar, have a wonderfully refreshing margarita or perhaps a nice cold beer with a shot and uh, just chat. I think that's adorable. And thinking about, you know, at what point is this a a perfect first date or is this a perfect date after you've been together for a while? I think I would answer differently. I keep saying diagnostic. For a first date, I definitely want to have enough variety in the date to see how he functions in different situations. How he, um, what is his etiquette? What is his savvy? Um, What is his creativity? I like when a man would ask me where um, I wanted to go, but be ready with suggestions as well. Like I was envisioning that we go have dinner by the water. I like that somebody is envisioning. I like that somebody is has a thought process and is already thinking, what would she like to do? So I'm tuned into the dynamic. Because that's a caring thing to do, right? It sort of expresses to you immediately. It's a sign that they're caring about you. They're caring what your interests are, what, what pleasures you. Yes, but I also think that it's a sign of intelligence and certainly emotional intelligence to think ahead and not just, you know, have this be just some, you know, whimsical thing. Well, let's see what happens. But that's now. I might have been much more open to some whimsical thing, let's go for a drive and see what happens um, at certain stages in, in being a teenager. You know, where is he going to drive to? Is it going to be scenic? Am I going to see new things? Is it going to be novel for me? So for me, I love novelty. So I would say that if a man creates a novel kind of idea for a date, that would be fun for me. It's and, a winner. And that applies whether you're 20 or 60. All of this still applies. I just have to say one quick thing before we leave this topic. When I was a teenager, we had the World's Fair, the New York World's Fair, which was like having an Epcot in your backyard. We could reach it by public transportation. Every single weekend, we were somewhere else in the world. It was such a blessing. All right, so another friend asks, uh, how do you break this silence during a date? My reframe of that question is, how do you get to know someone? Well, I think just focusing on the silence part. So there is just this quietness right between you two and nothing seems to be coming out. It's always great to ask some type of a question uh, about the other person. Uh, Maybe where they're from, how did they get here, what made them choose uh, the outfit that they have on, um, or any type of a question that will uh, inspire them to talk a little bit more about themselves. I used to sometimes ask my date, so where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, Oh, you were a a fun date. Oh, yeah. She was a really fun date. This is a psychology student. And and my number two question, would you mind sharing your financial uh, statements with me the next time that we meet? And, And it's also important that they want to know about you. So if, if you ask them about themselves and they go on and on and never stop to ask you about yourself, then guess what? That's a great sign. That's collecting data and you need to really consider that relationship. And backtracking even further, when you're considering going out on a date for the first time, maybe with someone you haven't met before, it might be fun to do something that's visually stimulating. So I just, the thing that came to my mind is take her to the circus, you know? I mean, you know, do something that has a little action to it so that you can be reacting even to the environment. So, you know, if it's a little bit more anxiety producing to start delving into asking personal questions, it may be easier to start with impersonal observations, like take a walk downtown where there's a lot of stimulation. An art show then, right? Yes. Art show would Absolutely. be a fantastic art one. Show. Because then you can always continue comparing notes. Right. That and would museum. be a great one. And, you know, and, and what woman is going to say, no, that's boring. Well, maybe some might. There'll but be some I, women that will say that. So right. it's important for for you to find out what his or her interests are and then 
that date should should focus on on those interests. I think it's easier these days because you could just go to her Facebook page and you know kind of gather some information that way. Either way, and I think probably people do. Silence on a date, you know, what I I don't see that as obviously it is a concern for young people. I didn't see it as a concern for young people that when I when I hear silence on a date I think about people that have been married 30 years and they're having dinner together and they know everything and they've discussed everything and there's nothing to say at dinner and every couple hopes never to get to that place. You know, and I would sit in a restaurant and I would be able to tell in a second Mm -hmm. there's there's silence and then there's disconnection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, two people can sit at Mm -hmm. the same table and just the vibe is so disconnected. I think if it occurs early... Um, and maybe it does in an arranged date or a blind date, uh, you know, you may need to use your creative self to react to the outer environment or ask a question. Or it may be just incompatibility right away. <laughs> That's the collecting data I talked about earlier. All right, so my good friend Juan asks, uh, how do you keep the spark if you're wanting something long-term? What an interesting question, right? Because it's applicable to an early part of a relationship. It's applicable to people at any age. Um, How do you keep the spark going if you want something long-term? One of my responses has to do with the uh, feeling of um, knowing that you can do your own thing, that you are not exclusively committed to go shopping, to buy a car, to go out to dinner, to go to the movies. Um, You don't always have to do that with your partner. If you give yourself uh, the space, which we often talk about that, if you give each other the space, that brings new interests into your life that you can then share with your partner and that's one of the ways that's one of the ways it what comes to my mind is how do we define the spark Mm -hmm. what is the spark different to everybody some similarities what's the spark the sexual attraction it could be almost anything really you know depending on the personalities of the of the people involved um for for my husband, the spark would be for me to fix a wonderful meal. That would just ignite him into nirvana. Yeah, I mean, he would just be delighted if I... So, you know, I am... And then for me, uh, the spark would be to um, have a massage, all right? Or a lovely bath together with candles and bubble baths and that would be the spark for me. So I think it really is very, very different for everybody. I was just thinking that for me, a spark would involve a surprise. It would involve something novel. I think similar to my perfect date, Mm -hmm. just thinking about it, that the spark would be something that would be an adventure for me. Um, Now, I'm not saying all the time, but I think that I am saying that I like the unexpected, the unexpected positive. Um, I like the adventure. I like the novelty, and I and that keeps things interesting to me in my relationship. And also, uh, for me, it would be to sort of to educate myself of what that means, what the uh, spark is, and how I can. Um, satisfy my own needs at times, uh, whether it be uh, going out or uh, experiencing a film alone or and or uh, so that would be it also. I'm just thinking that really when you're starting a fire, you need oxygen. Mm -hmm. You need breathing space. Mm -hmm. And like we were talking about last week, last time, or like we were talking about just now, is that sense of space where you can fill that space with your essence, with your fullness, so that you can experience yourself fully. And then you have 
that fullness to share with a partner. But what about those couples that want to be together all the time? And that's that's a good thing. It's it's not good for others, but there are some couples that just they're inseparable. When you see one, you know the other one isn't far behind. And um and if that works for you, then then the spark is being together. You know, I'm just recalling a um, couple, and I will give a shout out to Ed and Sue if there's ever listening to this podcast. They were like two bugs in a rug, mm-hmm. and they were just so harmonious and well-suited for each other. I met them when I was in graduate school. And I know that they're still together. They travel together. Their rhythms are similar. Their sensibilities are similar. That's just who they were. They were like twin souls at a very early age, and now they must be married 45 years. Um, so I think that there we all, like again, have differing needs for space. But how do you keep the spark alive coming from a younger person? Um is almost a different story because at that point there needs to be a lot of communication absolutely in the relationship there needs to be more communication in the relationship i am sort of feeling into that intuitively that something is disappointed some expectations are not being met some routine has taken over I think it needs to be uh, spoken about and addressed honestly. And sometimes those conversations can't happen unless you're with, unless you have the help of a third person. Sometimes in relationships, the third person can really be helpful, whether it's a counselor or a therapist or an older brother or sister or someone that you can trust. Uh, it's important. I think a relationship is an education. Absolutely. You know, years ago, there was one of my favorite songs was getting to know you, getting to know all about you. And I think that's what you're talking about, the conversation, so that I'll always know what would spark your interest, what I can do to never let the light go out. I love that. Now that song is in my head, and I wish we could just break into song because, (laughs) you know, it was Rodgers and Hammerstein were really good at putting those feelings into into music getting to know you okay and while we're singing along (laughs) the other idea that came across was that it is uh, one way to do it is to take care of yourself Um, if you are getting overweight if you are getting lazy if you are getting just so tuned into your internet or TV that is not going to help you keep that uh, spark. And I also want to say that many times, I'll talk about women or men can let themselves go and not even pay attention to their attractiveness, to have taken a shower, to have dressed into something fresh. I mean, even if it's just relaxed clothing, but let it be fresh, let it be cute, let it let it help you feel good so that your pleasure to be around. Why not? Welcome back. You're listening to Boom Goddess Radio. All right. So another one for you guys is, is swinging healthy and what are the risks? Is swinging more prevalent now than it was 50 years ago? I think the way it's more prevalent is that it's reached the lower, uh, younger age groups in our society. So teenagers, people in their 20s and 30s, whereas it used to be more the domain of, well, we've lived our relationship for a number of years and now we're a little bored with each other sexually. So we're going to add a spark to that by including other people. And so that uh, kind of poses the question of what exactly is it, right? Has it been um, defined in the same way? Is it being in a monogamous um, relationship that then you are seeing um, other people at the same time? Or actually, is it uh, specifically having sex with uh, uh, more than one uh, person? Well, swinging is in in my in my thoughts is you and your spouse 
sharing one or two other people in your bed, um, not together. And that is something that I'm not comfortable with. And that's not anything that I've ever been interested in. Uh, don't know why. I mean, as, as you know, as you're younger and you get more and more of these propositions and I've always said no to them because it just never felt right for me. And that's not to say it's not right for others, but it just never felt right for me. Well, I think it was interesting. The use, the question was phrased, is it healthy? And, um, you know, if we look at the word healthy, it really derives from the word whole. And so the question, if we reframe it that way, does it help your own feeling of wholeness? You know, again, it depends on how one defines one's sexuality. If one defines one's sexuality as inclusive mm -hmm. and p even polyamorous, mm -hmm. transgender, um, and transgender lovemaking, mm -hmm. as our culture has revealed more and more of a tolerance um, for that, then I, on one end of the continuum, the more one experiences all the facets of one's sexuality, perhaps the more whole one can feel. So maybe in that context, which would be the most liberal context, it would be healthy by that definition. If we're talking about uh, trying to add a spark to a marriage, um, again, it depends on each person in the marriages uh, or each person or each partner in the monogamous relationships relation to their own sexuality. If it's equal, if that additional stimulation is equally stimulating and satisfying to each member of the party, then I would say that it, it's probably uh, digestible. But if there's any imbalance, any imbalance, a small imbalance grows into a larger imbalance, a feeling of being rejected, not being the preferred partner, not being sufficient. So the self-esteem gets lower and self-doubt gets higher. And then once you introduce those dynamics into a relationship, it can be corrosive, it can be erosive. Now, if you and your spouse are talking about having a relationship like that, you've not experienced it yet, and you're just having a discussion about it. How do you know until you have finished your first experiment, uh, experiment that it's healthy for you? I mean, does one know that him touching her is going to bother me before we get into bed with that third or fourth person? Um, because that can be very damaging if you don't know going in that it's going to be as hurtful as you know when you come out. How, how do you know in advance that it's good for you or bad for you? Well, I think that's um, a, a difficult question to answer um, for me, but I was just focusing on the emotional aspect of it. To me, sex and emotions are so tied uh, together that I want to share that just with one person, one person at a time. And bringing another partner into the group would take away from that consuming pleasure that I'm feeling at a given time. And so I would be uncomfortable with sharing of that part of me. Right. But in a bisexually oriented person, that could be different. That yes. could be a, an enhancement in both directions. So I think it's hard to answer through our own lens because our own lens is idiosyncratic to us. Um, is it healthy? Well, we talked about if it helps each individual feel more whole, then that's fine. But that's a temporal thing. That happens over time. It might be fine in January. It may no longer be fine in October because because sexuality can lead to greater attachment and then it could set the twosome into an imbalance. And then that imbalance will have its consequences within that part of the relationship. Um 
in terms of what are the risks, the risk is that you can lose your partner, that you can lose interest in your original partner. You can put yourself in the kind of situation where now you're torn between two lovers, which is a tremendously sorrowing and difficult state to be in. It taxing, is right? Taxing I would imagine. Very taxing. And, and very debilitating. It, you know, it, it starts out like a lark and it, it, it quickly spirals into guilt and rejection and anger and fury and jealousy. It, become, it can become quite mucky. So I think the consequence could be, the downside could be, the risk that you could lose everything. Next one is, is there a way to start over with your spouse? You're listening to Boom Goddess Podcast. And we're talking about starting over. And so this question comes to us, is it possible to start over in a relationship? And immediately my heart says, yes, of course, it's definitely possible. But then when I think back for a little bit, I ask, okay, is this the fourth time I'm starting over? Is this the 20th time I'm uh, I'm actually doing this? How often am I doing it? Am, am I getting into this pattern? I think that's such a fabulous question uh, as one part of the frame of this, because if it's like a substance abuse issue that winds up either in violence or it winds up in dysfunctionality, or again, the person has lost their job, or again, the person has lied, those are things that are red flags that one would need to look at. If we're talking about a relationship that's become a little bit stale or a little bit resigned um, or into some patterns that are not satisfying to one partner or the other, then the quest, or if somebody has really done a betrayal Mm -hmm. in the relationship, you know, is it possible to start over? Also says to me, is it possible to forgive? Right. Right. Some people might ask the question, is it possible to forgive and forget? I don't think we forget. I think it's possible for us to forgive. And I think the question is, is there a way? So let's say we say there is a way. What is the way to uh, start over? Well, I think that you have to want to. That's 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 the answer for me. You have to want to make this work. If you don't want it to work, Going through the exercise of this is not ever going to work. Totally true. It's totally true. Motivation is 90% of it. So if you want your marriage, if, if you've come into some uh, 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 rocky roads and you want your marriage to survive, each of you are going to have to work at it. You said something, Dr. Andrea, to me some weeks ago about writing down 10 things that would make... Let, tell me if I'm saying this correctly. Ten things that would make me love you. No, may, that would make me feel loved. That would make me feel loved. So that doesn't really have to do with what he has to do yet, but just your straight-out honest answer to, I would feel loved if you brought in the garbage cans. I would feel loved if you called me during the course of your day. I would feel loved if you call me in the night time to just to say good night. Um, I would feel loved if you say, would you like to go visit my, let's go visit your father in the assisted living. That makes me feel loved. I think that's a brilliant list. No matter how old we are, I think it's a brilliant list. And no matter what's important to us, we should put it down and give it to our partner to read. All right. Give it to our partner to read and fill that list out separately. All right. Um, I think it's. I think it can be very healing, and perhaps you're you're uh, letting your partner know some things that he or she might not have known. Exactly, and so if, like you say, the motivation is there. And that's why sometimes couples in therapy, I'll do this exercise with them because if the motivation is there, then it's it's a roadmap to the other person's heart. Exactly. I, I, when you said it, I thought it was brilliant. And, I, and I'd like to share that with all of our listeners that have this concern in their lives. Because at some point... If, you know, if you're with a person long enough, you're in a, a long-term relationship or in a long marriage, or even a short relationship, it, it can, it can Af- pop up. You right. Know, if you're to- living with someone for more than a year, yes. you're already 
into this relationship. And the other um, way I think is to say, why do I feel that it is valuable or important to me to uh, start over and have the two partners uh, express those answers? Uh, Or particularly from your perspective, if you're the one that is posing this question, why would I why would I want to? I'd want to because of this. And then right. uh, reiterate those thoughts and reasons ideas. that you love that yes. person, the reasons mm-hmm. that you want to stay together, right. the reasons why you're invested. Right. That's really what you're getting at is why am I invested in this relationship? Let me tell you why I am, why I think it's important for the two of us to remain together. Yeah, so those are some of the touchstones, some of the places that we need to explore, even in entertaining whether or not we would want to start over. But if there's forgiveness that needs to happen, that needs to be thought through as well. Just want to go back to that. If there's a betrayal and we want to start over after the betrayal, you know, it, it, there's a matter of trust. You want to know if your partner has betrayed you, are they committed now to monogamy or are they committed to hiding it better? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's something that really, betrayal really needs to be treated a little bit more deeply. It's like a wound that went a little bit more deeply. It might need a little antibiotic, mm-hmm. might need to be bandaged for a while mm-hmm. while, the tr- while the trust is rebuilt. Is the betrayal um, just physical? Um, can it be an emotional betrayal? Absolutely. And is that as damaging as a physical betrayal? Well, when you say physical betrayal, like an infidelity. As, right. as an infidelity, right. right. Right, but it could also be, you're right, the violation of a contract that you had. Mm-hmm. Like, we weren't going to be bringing work home, mm-hmm. or you weren't going to be spending every weekend with your mother, mm-hmm. or your child from the previous marriage wasn't going to, or was going to, or whatever. So yeah, it certainly could be a violation of a contract. Uh, I've heard couples say that these these iPhones, iPads, these gadgets that we now have in our lives have really become divisive with couples, you know, especially if you have uh, one part of the couple who reads books from a, a, what we know traditionally to be books in terms of paper, and then you have another one that reads e-books, so they're on their device, their device, and um it becomes and if your mate is not one of those people that think a device is something that you should even be engaged in and having you know because we we do tend to pick them up more often than than we should perhaps well our device is divisive can be another whole episode that we discuss it was just on the cover of psychology today magazine this month and it says menage a trois and there's two people in a bed <laughs> and with, an iPad. Right, and an iPod. Mm-hmm. But in terms of starting mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. the terms of the agreement need to be clear. Mm-hmm. So here we are now after this picnic of questions from young people. I think we've touched a few topics. We've touched relationship. We've touched upon sexuality. And our last question about the divisiveness of devices is definitely something I would want to revisit. And isn't it uh, fantastic that the questions that are being posed, these are relevant to us, to our age group, as they are to millennials. It's really about life in general, isn't it? I think I'd like to hear from our young listeners that have posed some of these questions. So if you'll go on our website and go to our our contact page, please send us your your thoughts and tell us whether or not we've answered your questions and if you'd like or if we didn't and why and or you can visit us on facebook if that's more efficient for you let's hear it for the intergenerational exchange i think that was really really necessary thank you for tuning in today this is dr andrea jennifer and bb your boom goddesses signing off Each voice of wisdom shares ripples out into our universe and inspires so many others. Namaste. For technical reasons, portions of this program have been pre-recorded.
For all the things that make a supermarket just better, look no further than your neighborhood Albertsons. You'll find fresher meats, fresher produce, and lower everyday prices on family favorites. Stop by the meat department and pick up a family pack of bone-in pork loin chops or boneless, skinless chicken breasts from the butcher block. Your choice, just $1.77 a pound. And get new crop Arizona-grown jumbo cantaloupe, only 87 cents each. Fresher meats, sweeter produce, lower prices. Albertsons, it's just better. For all the things that make a supermarket just better, look no further than your neighborhood Albertsons. You'll find fresher meats, fresher produce, and lower everyday prices on family favorites. Stop by the meat department and pick up a family pack of bone-in pork loin chops or boneless, skinless chicken breasts from the butcher block. Your choice, just $1.77 a pound. And get new crop Arizona-grown jumbo cantaloupe, only 87 cents each. Fresher meats, sweeter produce, lower prices. Albertsons, it's just better.